I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy, and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show hosted by two book nerd friends who talk to other book nerds, including authors, poets, librarians, booksellers, and regular readers. Our show follows this format. We begin with my crabby dullness and Amy's sometimes maddening enthusiasm. It took us a little bit of time to become self-aware and recognize that we embody the grumpy sunshine trope that we often see in literature. That is followed by a fun conversation with a new bookish friend about what they love about being a bookworm. Then we talk about what we're reading. And finally, we put our guest on the hot seat to answer some silly probing questions. We're glad you've joined us. We are back with a Global Reader episode this week and are traveling to Australia using the magic of the internet. We have the pleasure of chatting with Lily Rady, an avid reader who lives outside Melbourne and has worked as a personal trainer for 16 years and also does some freelance copy editing on the side. It's always fun to hear about what book lovers and other places are reading, and Lily had some great Indigenous author suggestions for us, which we'll have in our show notes for you to check out. And of course, Lily also had to answer some general Australia questions like, how far does it take to fly from this city to that city? But we avoided anything about Crocodile Dundee. Thank goodness. Well, I want to say to our listeners that there is a piece in this episode where Lily is talking to us about the books that she read when she was a child. And she mentions the British children's author Enid Blyton. And I comment that, you know, we've done six of these global reader episodes. And I think half of the people have mentioned Enid Blyton. And I also make the comment that virtually nobody in the United States has heard of Enid Blyton. And I am feeling very guilty because I do not want to speak for every single American citizen that they have not heard of Eden Blyton. But I did do an informal survey. A very, a very scientific, (laughs) very methodological study. I asked people in my book club, have you heard of Eden Blyton? And nobody had. So there you go. But I'm sure that there are some people. Yeah. But, you know, I'm figuring all those people are moms. They like books. You'd think that that'd be the type of person who had heard of Enid Blyton. But our my very small sampling said, no, they had not heard of her. But I don't want to speak for everybody in the United States. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there know. are people who have heard her. But I would say that probably so, not the majority. Don't you think I'm safe in saying that? Maybe. The majority of Americans probably haven't heard of Enid Blyton. Uh, how about we say this? Your average American has not heard of Enid Blyton. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I, I think I think, I think that's uh, safe to say. Yeah. Forever, I don't want to make blanket statements. So yeah. nobody you know. in the United States has ever heard of Enid Blyton. Never, <laughs> never, never. <laughs> but never. I, now this is telling, though. I mean, you'll hear it in the episode. But you looked on our local library, and we're the largest library system in the state. I feel like our library system is pretty good, mm-hmm. and they only had. They didn't have any Enid Blyton books, I don't think. Did no, they, they did because I got one from the library. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, here, let me let me check. Since let me check because no. at the time you looked online and they didn't have any online, but maybe you could get. Yeah, because I got a I got a hard copy. So they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They only have ten. Okay. Yeah, that's something. They have ten. Here's the thing. A lot of them, out of the 10, seven of them, it says publication year 2014. So maybe they, maybe somebody had a sale on Enid Blyton books. <laughs> and it was in 2014. Or, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were reissuing them because there's a lot of them, I mm-hmm. believe. And it's something like what we would think of as like 
it's not in the style of Nancy Drew, but it's like that. You know what I mean? Where there's uh, well, well, and or every the Bobsy Twins or something like that. Well, I never read the Bobsy Twins. I mean, I didn't I either, them, but you'd heard of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All the ones from 2014 that are at the library, most of them, it's this, the adventure series. Because it's like the castle of adventure, the island of adventure, the sea of adventure, the ship of adventure. Anyway, yes. And there were no digital copies, but I did manage. Uh, and at some point I'll talk about uh, reading an Enid Blyton book. I, I think as a general rule, what I tell students if, if you're taking a multiple choice test and the A, B, C, or D, whatever, if they say always, never, no one, always, you know, there's certain clue words that you should stay away from that answer because there are very few things that are always, never, no one, ever, you know, that kind of stuff. So, Oh, absolutely. And I knew as soon as I said it, I should not have said no one in the United States has heard, has heard of Ina Blyton, but, you know, I just kept going. I just kept going with it. So... <laughs> but you're not doubling down. That's the whole point. You realize that, you know, I, that probably wasn't accurate. You yeah. Know. Right. You're not going, no, I'm serious. There's no one, really. <laughs> Many people say there's no one. <laughs> <laughs> many people say. Many people yes. say. Whoever yes. those many people many are. People are. All right. Well, hey, you're in a bit of an audiobook slump right now, aren't you? You know, it's so funny. In these last uh, last couple of months, you're constantly saying you're really in a reading slump. You're <laughs> in an audiobook slump. You're having trouble reading. And on our book challenge, I'm only like two books behind you, so it's obviously well, not that big of a no. May I? I just I added like three books since we chatted. Oh, yeah. What number did I say last time? The last time we talked about it, you said like 103. And I'm, I'm now at 106. I'm now at 106. Okay, well, I'm at 102. Okay, still, okay. I'm only four okay. books behind okay. you. So my okay. slump couldn't be that bad, right? Right, right. But what happened was I started listening to an audiobook that I started listening to before Halloween. And it was recommended on a website as being a great horror audiobook. And that's what I had been looking for. And I started it and I really liked it. The writing was really good. And then like the farther along we got in the book, I started getting like <laughs> grossed out. A lot of, yeah, it got started getting really grossed out because I guess most of the, the horror books I like are more like supernatural or paranormal. And this had a lot of body horror in it. And I guess I just haven't read a lot of that. Um, and I didn't realize that that really makes me want to puke. And so I, <laughs> so I got about 50% of the way through and I thought, I don't know, should I keep, we're only 50% of the way through the book. And I'm thinking, how much grosser can it get? It is so gross. And so I kind of posted something on Instagram asking if anybody read this book, what should I do? And someone said, well, if you're already grossed out, it only gets worse. So maybe you should DNF it. Mm. So that's what I did. But I felt so bad because I actually really did like the writing. It was just my gag reflex. Just <laughs> <laughs> So I DNF'd that. And then since then, I have tried like three other audiobooks. And there wasn't that there was anything wrong with them. They just didn't like catch me, you know. Maybe like, you ah, still got listen. a bad taste in your mouth from the, you know, maybe you're just like. From the pukey one? From, from the pukey one. Maybe yeah. you're just like, uh You know, yeah. you know how when you actually do puke and you kind of have that taste in your mouth and you're kind of like, I don't think I'll eat for a day. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should. Maybe just, you're having the book version of that. 
maybe you should. Maybe. Maybe maybe listen to a couple extra podcasts. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, I generally don't like I don't like puking in my reading life in my books or in real life. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's been my audiobook woe, but that's okay. Yeah. I the means that I'm going to lose again to you probably this year. Well, I'm not going to lie. I sort of got a little bit of a thrill when I suggested that you just stick to podcasts, extra podcasts for a week <laughs> or two. Oh, so, you're trying to you're trying to sabotage me. Maybe. I mean, hmm. you know, it would be kind of fun to beat you two years in a row. Okay. But didn't you say you're going to start a really long book? I am. But the reason I'm starting that really long book is so that I can also rub it in your face that I finished all five of my books that I said I was going to read in 2022 when we did last year's like end of year episode. And I was like, here's my five books I'm going to read. I want to read. And, and you haven't read yours and I've read four and I'm like, I got to read this fifth one so I can rub it in Amy's face. So really, I don't know. Why are you even friends with me? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. We, we get a kick out of trolling each other about I that. Guess, yeah. I guess. I guess if that's the worst thing I do is just give you grief about book stuff. Maybe I'll still get into heaven. I think I so. It's not that bad. It's okay. Well, you know who sounds like a lovely person who probably wouldn't be as big of a jerk about <laughs> about book competition. <laughs> I think Maybe. it's Lily. I th- yes, Lily. Lily is a much better person than you, Carrie. I and think we're so. just going to say it. I think so. She, she seems like she's not going to be a jerk and um and she would just have a, a more healthy competition with you. So so let's chat with Lily now. Let's go to Australia and chat with Lily for a bit. How long of a flight is that? <laughs> <laughs> We are always interested in what readers are reading, but we're especially curious about readers outside of the United States. So our guest this week is joining us from the future, since it is already tomorrow in Australia, where Lily Rady lives. So Lily, we're so pleased to speak with you. Really pleased to speak with with you both. So tell us where in Australia you are. I am in um, Melbourne live in a small little suburb about 20 minutes out of the city in Donvale, Melbourne, which is in Victor- the state of Victoria. Now, have you always lived in Melbourne? I have, yes. I live about okay. 15 minutes from where I grew up. So I'm thinking your seasons are the opposite of ours. Like we're headed into fall right now. So are mm-hmm. you headed into spring? We are. We are. It's been a very cold winter too. So I'm looking forward to some to some sunshine. I didn't realize it got that cold in Australia. It normally doesn't. And I think with all the topic for another conversation, global warming uh, and what's going on, it's been much colder than normal. Well, we are here to talk to you about books and your reading life. So Mm -hmm. what kind of reader are you? What What kind of genres do you normally like to read? Predominantly, I read probably more psychological thrillers than anything else. But I also do like a, a sort of a, a broader breadth. So I do like um, historical fiction, literary fiction, occasionally a little bit of magical realism. Are, are there some genres that you just have decided are not for you? Oh, yes. Uh, science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Not not to bag it, but yeah, no, just not for me. 
Well, Amy has a thing about world building. I'm like, Lily, I like some magical realism. And I have delved into some science fiction fantasy, but it's like, I don't like the high fantasy stuff where they're building worlds and they have their own vocabularies. And that's like too much, too much. <laughs> There's a Same. map, too much. <laughs> <laughs> Same for me. <laughs> so do you tend to like paper books or digital book readers or audio books or, or do you use all three? Talk to us a little bit about sort of the technology. I think prior to joining Bookstar, uh, and a lot of, a lot has changed joining Bookstar, but pre-Bookstar I was very much paperback. And I think a paperback will always still be my first love. I, there's something about holding a, a book that I, I love. Last year, my children bought me a very first Kindle for Mother's Day, which I was a bit sceptical about, and now it travels with me everywhere. I, <laughs> I love it, um, especially also joining NetGalley and uh, the world of Amazon. So, yes, I do love my, my Kindle now, and I only started listening to audios this year, and, again, it's been a game changer. Absolutely love them. You're able to just read so many more books if you can add yeah. audiobooks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have a question to ask you about your Kindle because I was the same way where I I had one, but I never used it. And the pandemic completely changed that for me. Once you couldn't actually go to a library and get a book, you know, I didn't want to endlessly spend money on books. It was so easy to just check them out through the library or download them. And so that was the game changer for me. And now I read them all the time. I read physical books too, but I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what was the turning point for you? I suppose retrospectively, yeah, it would have been the pandemic or being in lockdown. And also, I suppose, having the time to sit. And like I said earlier, I'm not really somebody that's very technical. So as lovely as the gift was, I sort of looked at it quite fearfully to begin with going, oh, how am I going to work this out? Once I realised how simple and easy it was and how easy it was to get a book straight away and get used to the, the feel of the Kindle as opposed to a physical paper book, it was fabulous. Yeah, it was a, a, another game changer for me. Lily, you mentioned, did I hear it right, Bookstub? No, she said Bookster, I think. Did you mean Bookstagram? Bookstub. I did. I did. Sorry. Um, as, a, as an Aussie, we generally tend to shorten a lot of words. That's a, a, a thing with Australia. So anything that's, that's got a big name, you just cut it in half or use the first couple of letters. <laughs> well, I was going to tell you, so I had also been like, I don't want to Kindle, you know, I, I just prefer paper books. But then I don't know what it is, but my husband, we've been married almost 25 years and my husband, like I have had a harder time falling asleep and he can fall asleep instantaneously. And so I like having the Kindle so that I can stay up later because my brain just won't shut off. I can stay up later and read and not keep him up. Or if he wakes me up because he started doing this weird, like having these vivid dreams. And if he does that and wakes me up in the middle of the night, I can read Mm -hmm. And also maybe if I wanted to smack him over the head with the Kindle, you know, and it would hurt a little bit more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes to all of those. <laughs> so are you in a book club of any kind, like a physical or, or even virtual? I am. I am just prior to lockdown. 
I really wanted to start my own book club. So I did sort of gathered, sent out some invitations to a few sort of different friend groups and put the feelers out. And I was quite surprised actually that quite a few were really interested. So just prior to lockdown, there's a group of about eight of us that meet uh, every month. Um, Obviously, then during lockdown, we couldn't, but we've just resumed that back up now. And we meet at a local restaurant once a month, have a meal and a glass of wine and discuss the book that we've chosen for the month. That's awesome. That's rough, though, that you started it right before lockdown. Did you try doing it virtually? We did try. Um, it didn't work as successfully, although we, we kept in contact. We've got a, a messenger group where we constantly chat um, anyway. But, yeah, that was a bummer with the pandemic. <laughs> Eight is a really nice number. Harry and I have been in a book club together for, oh, my goodness, 18 years, probably, something like that. Something like that. And it has been small and it's also been big. At one point, we had like 25 members. 25 members is way too big. Mm. But eight is a nice number because you can have a nice conversation without people talking over each other. So that's, that's right. right. It, it is. And, and from month to month, that changes too with how many can meet up. But it's always nice and small and intimate. I want to ask you about how you buy your books. Like, do you buy them on Amazon or are there bookstores there you buy them from? Because I have heard that it is very expensive to get books via Amazon in Australia. But but I don't remember where I heard that. So, <laughs> yeah, I read that and I thought, oh, that's odd. I think for the most part, 90% no, um, it's much cheaper and quicker. Although I don't really like to buy off Amazon, but unfortunately, I prefer to obviously support my local book, uh, bookstore um, where possible, but Amazon is just so cheap and so quick and easy, so I do tend to use that. Every now and then a book will be ridiculously expensive. I'm just trying to think what book I wanted to buy the other day, and it was from an American bookstagrammer. I'd seen it, so I jumped onto Amazon, and it was not obviously available in Australia, so it had to come from the US, which I've done before, no problem, but it was like $45 or something like that. And I went, I am not buying that. I will wait. (laughs) (laughs) And it it wasn't even available on Kindle. So I don't know why every now and then a book is, yeah, can be quite expensive, but not for the most part. No, definitely not. I don't know. It's comforting and also troubling in the same way that Amazon works around the world the same way like don't you wonder like obviously there must be an amazon hub or something in australia but it's just like a little weird (laughs) that it can get everything everywhere so fast no matter where you are in the whole world it's it's bizarre it's really bizarre i I agree (laughs) so lily do you have a favorite local bookstore that when you you want to get a book locally that you tend to visit no not locally unfortunately Especially post-pandemic, I, I really am not one to now go out and just sort of, as much as I like it, I, I, I don't go out as often as I used to. But a couple of days a week I'm in the city in Melbourne and there is a couple, Hill of Content has a beautiful old bookshop um, and it's small and quiet and also the State Library, which I like going into. So were you always a big reader? Always, 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 always. Loved reading. From as as far back as I can remember, I always had a book. My fondest memory, and I think when I really, I mean, obviously 
radiated Blyton and, you know, exploring all of those types of, of, of books. But then uh, Sweet Valley High, I, my sister and I <laughs> were just obsessed with Sweet Valley High books. And when I think about it, I think I was quite young because it would have been early teens. And when I think about it now, Virginia Andrews, V.C. Andrews. Um, oh, Flowers in the Attic? So flowers in the Attic, that's it. So, yeah, so those ones which are uh, absolutely loved. And my sister loved reading too, so we really got to share our enjoyment and swap books and um, and talk about the books and, and, and even do make-believe of the books that we read, in particular Sweet Valley High. So it's funny about those Enid Blyton books because you're probably, let's see, we have done I think six of these interviews with international readers, and I would say over half of them have said Enid Blyton. But the thing is, she's virtually unknown in the United States, which is so funny to me. So, like, we had a guest from Ireland. She mentioned them. We had a guest from Croatia. She mentioned them. It has been a common theme. And I just think it's it's really interesting how they have been so important to so many kids' lives other places, but not so much here. No, she's definitely was huge here, and I brought my children up reading Enid Blyton, uh, The Magic Faraway Tree, all of those books, not only I grew up with, but, yeah, I, I raised my children reading them also. With this conversation, I thought I'm going to get online to see what our library has in terms of books that I could download to my Kindle, and there's three. Of the oh. Enid Blyton? Well, you know what? Actually, no, these aren't even Enid Blyton. Hang on. The ones that are on here are written in the style of Enid Blyton, but there are none. Hmm. Oh, interesting. There are yeah. none. It's very well, strange. Australia is very still influenced by Britain. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and so I, yeah. So, you know, the people that we have, we've talked to who have mentioned her have been European or in this case, very influenced by Britain. Is, is Australia still under technically under the crown, under the British it crown? Is. That is correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we okay. Are. So what about like Aboriginal? Is, are there Aboriginal authors? Is that something that's taught in school or? I sort of pause with this one because I can't recall being taught any Indigenous writers in school myself, but I know that that has dramatically changed of recent. So I would say definitely now that, that, that it would be um, part of the curriculum. I don't know for that for certain, of course, but I would be very, very surprised if it wasn't part of the uh, the curriculum now. It's the same thing here. Carrie, mm. you, were you taught any Indigenous authors? Oh, I'm sure no. I mean, no, I yeah. didn't. No. And it wasn't until, gosh, I don't think I had read an Indigenous author till maybe 10 or 15 years ago. So. I, I would say I'm the same, to be honest with you, which is quite a shame. Um, but I, I'm exactly the same as that. It really didn't start until probably about 10 or so years ago. And yeah. now it's they're really starting to have a their time in the sun right now. There's, you know, several like TV shows that have been with, you know, all Indigenous actors and Indigenous directors and books and things. So, and, you know, well, they're I having think- their, their moment. Yeah, I think with with understanding inclusivity um, as opposed to years ago, um, which again it should have been done, but it wasn't. So now, as we teach our children, as we're moving forward, it's it's everything's much more inclusive, as it should be. Well, with mm-hmm. everything, I mean, with that, with you know, sexual orientation, mm-hmm. 
uh, race. Our kids are introduced to it so much earlier and just more accepting of it than, uh, I agree. than we were because it just wasn't, well, I wouldn't say it wasn't around because obviously it was around. It just wasn't introduced to us, I guess. Yeah, yeah that, absolutely. I don't know if I'm saying that right. No, you are. I well, totally agree. I'm wondering, Lily, who are some authors, Australian authors that tend to be popular now? Uh, there's Tony Birch, who I actually have seen some American bookstagram has put up um, some work by Tony Birch, which is so lovely to see. And actually, he lives here in Melbourne, not far from in the city. So he's got quite a few books. The White Girl is probably the one he's most popular for. Tara June Winch, The Yield, which I'd say a lot of people should have heard or do know of. The two I've got in front of me, I've got Claire G. Coleman, uh, Terranullius, which probably isn't as popular but is huge here in Australia, as is one called Too Much Lip by Melissa Lukashenko. I have heard of Tony Birch and the other mm-hmm. ones I have not heard of. Yeah. The the one that I have read who I really enjoy, and it's so, it's so funny when you're talking to somebody from another country because I may mention this person and you'll be like, ah, nah, nobody in Australia likes them. But <laughs> But I like Jane Harper. I really enjoy her novels. Jane Harper's probably one of the most popular Australian novelists, not Indigenous, of course. She's fabulous. She's got a brand new book out, actually. Now, the ones you mentioned before, were they Indigenous? Yes. Oh, I thought that's all. Oh, I misunderstood Carrie's question. That's awesome that you mentioned all those Indigenous authors. Yeah, they were Indigenous authors. And I've just written some amazing books. There's one actually called The Boy from the Mish. Uh, by Gary Lonesborough, and that's more, that's a YA, that which I don't usually read a lot of young adult, but um, just beautiful, beautifully written. So, do you have one that's like a personal favorite of yours, of like the ones that you mentioned? Um, I've read all of them, and my heart goes to the boy from the Mish, which is again so unlike me to choose a YA, but it was just such a touching and beautiful story. I'm probably a lesser-known Indigenous author, to be honest, but probably one of those books that I think should have got a lot more accolade than it actually did. Mm -hmm. But then I suppose, like, with books, some resonate with the reader differently to what they do with others. So for whatever reason, that one really resonated with me. Well, I want to tell you, so this is a British-Australian author, but I actually named my son after, (laughs) well, I just like the name, but Graham Bass. He's, have you heard of him? <laughs> yes, he's, he's he does children's picture books. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. So when my daughter was little, uh, we would go to the, to the library and we would pick up picture books, just tons of picture books. And we discovered his books and fell in love with them. And so when I found out I was pregnant and that I was having a boy, we named him Graham and we spelled it the same way that Mm -hmm. Graham Bass does. And then when our son Graham was little, you know, we started reading him picture books. He fell in love with Graham Bass books. And so we have like all of these Graham Bass books. We ordered them because my son Mm -hmm. loved them. Yeah. They might've come from Australia. So. Yeah. I actually forgot about him actually when, um, when I was going through and I'm thinking about Australian authors, but yes, you're absolutely right. He has, they're just beautifully illustrated. My children, we used to take them to the library all the time. And in fact, we actually met him once, and I think we may even have a signed copy of oh, one wow. of his earlier books. Yeah, beautiful. 
Well, Australia is a very large country like the U.S., but, you know, different regions have sort of different themes in their writing. You know, you've got the South, you've got Appalachian literature, there's things going on in the Midwest. There are different regions in Australia, but do those different regions have a different feel as far as their books go? I had to think about that. I think if you're going to read a true Australian book or Aussie noir, it's going to be about the outback which is probably mm. what we seem to be the most uh, famous for. It's that dry, it's heat. It's, as, as much as we've got some beautiful beaches or you can talk about the pearls, you know, in Western Australia or, or, or the, in the Northern Territory, but really you don't really read, or I, I haven't noticed anyway in Australian books that that's written about much, but you always will hear about the, the Australian outback. Mm. Yeah, that's sort of iconic, isn't it? Yeah, and as big as we are, it's not. It's it's very sparse. You know, a lot of especially in the centre, it's all it's all desert. So, so most of the population centres are kind of around the edges. Is is that accurate? That's like, there's not accurate, a lot yeah. in the middle. No, not a lot. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm embarrassed to say that I really haven't done a lot of travel in my own country, which is a bit of a shame. But um, and I'm sure there is more than I know of, but. My knowledge of it is no, it's definitely more on, on, on the outers and on the coasts. So, for instance, how long would it take you to get to Sydney? Like if you would, is it close enough you could drive there? I'm trying to get a sense of how big, you know, in comparison to like a, a, in the United States. It's about a 12-hour drive. Oh, wow. Melbourne. That's much more yeah. than I would have thought. Okay. Mm. So is that something that some people would normally fly if they were going to go? They would fly there? Usually you'd fly. I was there a couple of weeks ago for a wedding. Yeah, you'd normally fly up there unless you were doing like a, a road trip where, you know, you had X amount of time off, then, then you would um, drive. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Lily, you didn't know you were going to become the, the, the geography. geography. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you need to just fill us in all things Australian, not just books, but also driving distances. <laughs> well, you know, I always think of Australia as being large, but, you know, when you're talking to people in Europe, things seem so much closer than if you're in the U.S. Everything is pretty far away, relatively right? So mm. you might have to drive for a while and that seems pretty normal. But like with some people that we've talked to in Europe and like, oh yeah, you know, it's about a four hour drive. That four hour drive takes you two countries away. So mm. I was just trying to get a sense of the the distance. So somewhere like Perth, that would be really far, right? Because that's on oh. the Western side. God, Perth is a, I wouldn't even know. That would take, I know it's a long yeah. plane ride too. I think it's about a six hour plane ride. So so that's like, mm. for us, that would be being on the East Coast, flying all the way over to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. That's mm. about a six-hour flight. Yeah. yeah. When we were talking about books, you know, that maybe they threw at us in high school, right? And and so, like, in the United States, you know, we had to read, like, Ernest Hemingway or Mark Twain or F. Scott Fitzgerald. So so kind of these historical fiction books that that told stories about the, sort of like the early parts of the, our country, right? So like F. Scott Fitzgerald talked about the 1920s in New York and, and in the United States in the Midwest. And Mark Twain was, you know, that was the 1800s in the Midwest. Are, are there any writers that have kind of told stories that as an Australian yourself, when you think about 
those classic Australian writers. Are there any that come to mind for you? The one I thought of straight away was probably Henry Lawson, um, hmm. probably the, the most, I would say, well-known poet and, and author. But uh, there's also Miles Franklin, and we have the Miles Franklin Literary Award as well, and she was um, she, she was a feminist. But being such a young country, there's not as many as, as you have in, in the States. But, yeah, I'd say probably Henry Lawson. Most people would know him and know his poems and what was the second person you said that had their had an award named after them? Uh, Miles Franklin. Yeah, see, I know nothing about Australian literature at all, besides Jane Harper, yeah. apparently. But, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, like, those two names are completely, I've never heard of them, but I'm glad to know them because I just think it's interesting to learn about other countries. It is. And, it is. It and is, who yeah. Is, and, and I think being such a small country, too, um, having these older writers who we grew up with and we know is very different to the age and the breadth, I suppose, and the knowledge of, of America where, you, you know, everyone knows who Ernest Hemingway and Mark Twain is. Right. Whereas probably a lot a lot smaller and, and insular than the rest of the world's. Well, and the thing is, there's a difference, at least to me, it seems like, like I could Google different writers. I could Google Australian writers and get a list of names, but, mm-hmm. There's just something about talking with you and hearing you say certain writers, it, it'll just resonate. Like, it's like, oh, okay, well, now I got to check these out because a human being actually told me about yeah. these writers. Maybe it's just it, the human communication component was, of it. I was just about to say that it's that, that human um, connection where you just go, oh, well, now I need to go and look that up because, you know, you, you've heard about it and it becomes more of a topic of interest as opposed to, just Googling for the sake of it and, you know, doing right. research or whatever that might be. But mm. So now's the really fun part because we're going to ask you who three of your favorite authors are that you really enjoy and they don't have to be Australian. Mm-hmm. So who are three authors that you really enjoy reading? I love, oh, well, they're not Australian. And it depends because I read so much, especially current books so there's a lot current authors that I love but my all-time favorites would be Joan Didion, Elizabeth Strout and Toni Morrison. Oh wow Mm. okay I have to tell you so a few couple years ago in our book club I decided it was right after Toni Morrison passed away and it was Mm. my month to choose and I picked Toni Morrison but I said that there, she has so many books that she wrote. Mm-hmm. Everybody could pick the book they wanted to read by Toni Morrison, and then we would all sort of share. I think universally everybody, not me necessarily, or maybe Carrie, but universally most people did not like her work, that it's very deep and very dark. It is. Mm-hmm. Just the type of work that I love. <laughs> <laughs> I think Lily needs to be our honorary book club member. Just so. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so I find it interesting that she's one of your favorite. That's awesome. Now, Elizabeth Stroud has a new one out. Oh, oh William. William. Yeah. My favorite of hers is the Lucy Barton series. I, I love my, my name is Lucy Barton is my absolute favorite. I do have O. William, but I can't remember whether that's part of Olive Kitteridge or. I'm um, not Lucy sure. Barton. Mm. I have read Lucy Barton and I have tried several times to get through all of Kittredge and mm. I have not made it through yet. I just think I have to be in the right frame of mind. So, so I'm not sure where that one is placed in there. 
Okay, so then let's move on to books. Are there three books that you consider your all-time favorites or maybe even just three books recently that you've really enjoyed? Two of my forever favorites would be The Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. Oh, I agree with you on that one. Yeah. Do you like big, thick books? Well, not normally, but I think I was pregnant with my eldest son when someone recommended it to me. So, And I think I'd finished work and so I had all this free time, you know, not a mother yet and lounging around, lying down with your big fat belly. Um, so I had plenty of time to uh, to get into it and I absolutely I still to this day recommend it, even though I read it. Jeez, my eldest son turned 28 yesterday. So that's the one, obviously beloved by Tony Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that one too. Yeah, if we're going to go current, two that I've recently just read that I think will go down as probably one of my all-time favourites are um, Lessons in Chemistry, Brilliant, and The Change by... Kirsten Miller. So yeah. a couple things about those. The lessons in chemistry doesn't sound like you're normal because it's, it's a not light and funny, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's not. And I hesitated and resisted almost to actually read it. Everyone kept recommending it, and I'm like, no way I'm reading that. It's just not me, you know. And I started it and I went, then oh, this is why I love reading and this is why I love literature. Because as much as I love deep, dark, atmospheric work, this was just on another level beautiful just touched me I just I adored it that's our book club's choice for December so Carrie Uh there's still hope for you because Carrie's like you she likes the deep dark depressing books Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah, me too if they're if they're too happy she's like ah so maybe there's hope for you Carrie (laughs) (laughs) definitely definitely hope for you because if I can read it and love it guaranteed you will Okay. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned that Joan Didion was is one of your favorites. I just used part of one of her essays today it, it, with my high schoolers and actually my middle schoolers to talk about some things related to writing. The Year of Magical Thinking. Oh, I think I cried yes. in that. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Just beautiful. Now, what there was one that you said after Lessons in Chemistry, because I had a comment about that too, but I can't remember who it is now. The Change. Oh, The Change. The change. So that yeah. one, a Bookstagram friend sent me a message on him and said, have you read The Change yet? And I said, no, no, I haven't. This is when it first came out. I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about it. I didn't know why mm-hmm. she was asking me about it specifically. And then mm-hmm. later on, I read that it's about women who, once they go through menopause, get these like <laughs> special powers. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, that's why she asked me about it because it sounds like an amazing premise yeah she very very cleverly tapped into that age bracket of women that you don't often read about but done with such humor and depth and again and this is where I I, I don't mind a little bit of magical realism because it's to me it's got to be real I'm such a a, I'm a straight thinker straight shooter you know what I mean I I don't like yeah it's got to be realistic to, for me. Um, and although this almost wasn't, but it almost was in a really humorous sort of way, I, I don't know. It just, it made me laugh. <laughs> it was, I thought it was brilliant. Now, it's pretty long too, right? Like, I, isn't it like that 600 is. pages? Yeah. Yeah. I actually listened to the audio of it. Which must be like a gazillion hours long then. 
<laughs> it is, but in my person, with my type of personality, I'm sort of quite a frenetic person. Um, I listen usually at around two, two and a half speed, um, which most mm. people balk at. <laughs> so I can generally tend to get through them pretty quickly. Two and a half speed. Oh my gosh. I do. That makes me think. Well, I don't know if they have this in Australia. We had when we were kids, we had this cartoon called Alvin and the Chipmunks, and they would like talk really fast like this. <laughs> it is pretty much, yep, it is pretty much like that. And if I don't want to wear my headphones, or if nobody's at home, and I rarely, strangely, might even have a few hours on my own without a body around, I'll put it on my loud, my little portable loudspeaker. And then if somebody comes home, it's now become a bit of a joke. They just look at me, roll their eyes and just go, how on earth can you possibly listen to that? Because <laughs> it does. It sounds like a chipmunk. But once That's I'm hilarious. in that, um, I, I, I can get it. Like I don't start off at that speed. I'll start at 1.8 or 1.5, whatever it might be. But as that progresses, then I can still hear it and pick up on it and know and be right in, invested and involved with wow. it at that speed. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is pretty mm-hmm. impressive, I must say. Now, Pillars of the Earth, I loved. We read it in our another one where we read it in our book club, and most of the book club members rolled their eyes because it was so long. Almost, yeah, yeah almost everybody loved it. Did you read any of like, the sequels? I didn't. I'm pretty sure I do. I think I bought them to read and never got around to it. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe I was subconsciously concerned that I wouldn't like them as well. And it's such, they're all mm-hmm. really thick and that yeah. it maybe it wasn't going to be worth the amount of time that I would put in it. And then I'd be really disappointed. Yeah. And but, that's why I think too, with series, I don't generally like a lot of series. I much, much prefer standalones. And often the second and third, there's very few series that I've actually read that I've got, oh, okay, this, this, this is brilliant. I don't know why with that one. I I didn't go to the other ones. Carrie, she's like your soulmate. I know. In book form. <laughs> all the way across the world. Yeah, all the way across I the love world. It. <laughs> love it. This has been so fun learning about some of these Australian authors, both and geography. And geography. <laughs> right. The travel time between Perth and Melbourne. And so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're all going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with Lily and with Carrie. Carrie, what are you reading in the middle of the night? I didn't know you were a middle of the night reader now. I try not to be. The The book I'm going to talk about is not one that that I read during the night. It's actually an audiobook that, how did I hear about this? So our former guest, Robin Weiss, who talked to us about a couple years ago, Quarantine Book Club, she and her daughter read this, I believe. And it's called Wolf Hollow by Lauren Wolf. And it's a Newbery Honor book from 2017. And I love reading the Newbery books. So this is the story of Annabelle. She's a girl growing up in a small Pennsylvania town. And so this book is set after World War II. So Annabelle lives with her family in this community. And the community includes a man named Toby. So he's a veteran of World War I. And he's very quiet and, and reclusive. You know, he's, he's kind of like a, an odd duck. And a new girl comes into the community. She moves to town. Her name is Betty Glengarry. And she comes to live with her grandparents. And she brings trouble with a capital T. So she's a cruel bully who targets Annabelle. 
And then she targets Toby in a ploy that pulls the entire community in and ramps up everybody's emotions. And then in the story, Betty goes missing. And so the the community's already sort of amped up. And when Betty goes missing, it sets everyone off even more. So it's a wonderful book. At times, it's hard to listen to because it's uncomfortable. Uh, It's a reminder that people can be so deliberately cruel to each other as a means of dealing with their own internalized pain. But Annabelle and Toby's friendship is gentle and tender and sad, all rolled up into one. It's a beautifully written book. And it just, I don't know, it's complicated. So I I feel like, Lily, based on what you told me about some of your book selections, this is a book that, you know, it is geared towards like middle grade and up, but it's got all those deep ideas. Well, it was a really, really great book. So uh, again, it's called Wolf Hollow by Lauren Wolk, and it's a Newbery Honor book, and I highly recommend it. Lily, tell us what's something new that you've been reading. I have just finished a book called The Unbelieved by Vicki Troutis, an Australian author. It actually was the winner of, of the Alan and Unwin Crime Fiction Prize. Vicky Petratus is a, she's actually a true crime writer. So she's written quite a few true crime books and I believe maybe even a podcast, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, so this is her first foray into fiction and it was brilliant. Um, I'm actually hoping that there'll be a sequel to it. It, it holds everything that a, a thriller, a police procedural thriller should have and in typical Aussie noir sort of set in a small Australian country town and it was just so I'm just trying to think of the words I'm still blown away by it especially being a debut it was just thrilling twisty everything that a a good uh, thriller should have so yeah The Unbelieved by Vicky Petratus it's a honestly I highly highly recommend it I'm actually looking forward to seeing what she's got to come out next I like a really good true crime book. So I'm a little interested that you said that she had written some true crime Mm -hmm. as well. So Amy, what book have you had keeping you occupied this week? (laughs) Well, I'm going to talk about a book that's maybe a, a little happier. I don't know. than what you all just talked about. It's called The Happiest Man on Earth. So it sounds Uh happier just by the title, right? By Mm -hmm. Eddie Jaku. And this is a memoir that I heard about from an old acquaintance of mine. She and I used to be in a book club together back when we were in our 20s. And she posted on her Facebook page that this book was perhaps the most uplifting book that she had ever read. And it was by far the most uplifting Holocaust story that she had ever read. So when someone says that, how can you not read it, right? So- I believe the idea for this book started as a TED Talk that Eddie, who he lived in Australia, did in Sydney in 2018 or 2019, I believe. So The Happiest Man on Earth is the personal story of Eddie Jaku, who was born in 1920 to a German-Jewish family. And he writes that he considered himself a German first and a Jew second and was always very proud of his country until the Nazi party came to power 
arrested, beat him, and took him to a concentration camp. Now, this probably sounds like the start to almost any World War II historical fiction novel you have ever read. In fact, I have avoided World War II historical fiction recently because I just felt like I got a little too saturated with it. But this book was a different experience than those. So first, let me say that Eddie's story sounds horrible and miraculous all at the same time. It's amazing how many concentration camps he was sent to. I think there were three, um, how many times he narrowly avoided death. And he was sent to several different concentration camps, some even twice. And he successfully broke out of several of them. And one he broke back into because he was concerned his friend would be punished for his disappearance. So in many ways, this is like reading an adventure story, but he doesn't sugarcoat the atrocious conditions he and his fellow prisoners had to endure. But what helped sustain him through this ordeal was friendship. He had made friends with another prisoner in the first camp, and they were loyal to each other and helped each other through the whole war and after. And much of the help that he received from non-Jews during the war were from old friends of his father or his family. So he really emphasizes the power of connection and friendship. So, um, and because of this, his memoir is hopeful and positive. So the one thing I didn't realize until reading his memoir, though, is that many Jewish people after they were liberated at the end of the war didn't feel comfortable staying in Europe. I'm sure I probably should have figured that out, but it wasn't something I initially thought of. So there was still quite a lot of anti-Semitism, and he found it hard to trust people who had turned a blind eye to the Jewish community um, during the war. So he and his wife put paperwork in to immigrate outside of Europe. I think they put it into several different countries and they eventually settled down in Australia where they ended up living the rest of their lives. So Eddie is definitely a glass is half full kind of person. And he made a vow after the war that since he survived, he was so grateful that he was going to smile every day for the rest of his life. And he wrote this book to share some of his wisdom and how to live the best possible life when things seem hopeless. So at the time this book was published, and this is amazing to me, Eddie Jaku was 100 years old and he helped found the Sydney Jewish Museum and he was married to his wife for 73 years. Can you imagine that, Carrie? 73 no. years. No. <laughs> so he passed away um, after the book was published. He passed away in 2021. And I listened to this on audiobook and it's an Audi Award nominee. And the narrator, Raphael Corkhill, was wonderful. Uh, it's like listening to your grandfather tell you a story, mm -hmm. basically. This is fairly short. It's only about four hours long. And it was amazing to me how he was able to fit this his whole life with so many ups and downs and crazy things happening in those four hours. But actually, you know, this would be a great book to listen to in the car while you're traveling for the holidays. <coughs> Certainly anyone over the age of being able to understand what the Holocaust was can listen to a book. So kids over the age of probably 10 or 12, I think, could listen to it. It could make a great family listening experience. Um, so again, the name of the book is The Happiest Man on Earth by Eddie Jaku. It would get me all up in my feels. It gets you all up in your feels. Have you heard of this one, Lily? Can I just say that it is I, – I can't believe I didn't add it in one of my all-time favorite books. I love oh, it. Good. Oh, and good. And I read it and I cried. Um, I actually loved it so much I bought four copies for each one of my sons. 
Oh, that's wonderful. It is yeah. definitely a story of resilience, mm-hmm. you know, and I think some people might have more of it than others, but that doesn't mean that you can't try to make yourself more resilient. And I think listening to this book is a good lesson in that. Yeah, I read it in book form. It's one of my most treasured books. And it was very sad. I think it was last year, the author, he passed away. Yeah, they said 2021. Yeah. But I think he died in his sleep. It sounded like it was, it yeah. was a very... Yeah peaceful death. And so he just sounds like a treasure. So I'm glad to know that you liked it too, Lily. That's great. Yeah, that was great. Well, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to put Lily in the hot seat and ask her her three in the third degree. We're back with Lily Rady from Australia. And we're going to ask her her questions. So question number one, what is a scent or a smell that says Australia to you? Hmm. I would, and these are probably going to be the two most popular, but for me, it's eucalyptus from the, the eucalyptus mm. trees. So that's that strong sort of earthy eucalyptusy smell and beach, the smell of the mm. beach. Yeah. It's sort of like that probably, salt, like salty air or like the... Fishy. <laughs> <laughs> no, the salty nice, the, the yucky part of it. Because <laughs> um, we have those too, where it's all seaweed and yucky. No, no, I mean just the, you know, the beautiful, salty, fresh smell of, of the sea. So, I mean, I've never been to Australia. So are eucalyptus trees, are they sort of everywhere? Where I'm from? Yes, everywhere. Where I live at the moment, we're on we're a few acres and backing onto a national, to a nature reserve. So we have extra of them which is beautiful and oh, so the, I love the oh the wildlife and the birds and the cockatoos and kookaburras it's just gorgeous I love it oh man I would love that I have a video there's a place in Kentucky it's called Kentucky Down Under oh, and it's gosh. about <laughs> it's about it it's, it's so a, cheesy it is cheesy but where else are we gonna see a kookaburra see, yeah kookaburra <laughs> and so i like i have a video of my daughter she made this noise that apparently appealed to this kookaburra and we have this video that's hilarious of her making this noise and the kookaburra making its noise back to her that's my connection they, uh... to australia <laughs> <laughs> they're very unique and they sound like they're talking and let me tell you as beautiful as they are, kookaburras like to get up very early. So, and luckily, I'm an early riser. But if you're wanting to sleep in and you live in an area like I do, uh, expect them to start singing their their beautiful little song at around five or five thirty a.m. <gasps> oh my gosh! Oh. Wow! Yeah. And then and then you wow. go those bloody kookaburras. <laughs> 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 They're not so cute then. I bet not. No. Okay, so number two. I follow you on Instagram and on your Instagram account, almost every Friday you post about you and your husband's plans for the Friday evening. You refer to him as himself, which I find hysterical, and he always has a cocktail in hand. So tell us about your favorite cocktails for a Friday night and what do you eat with it? Okay. And I I have to just give the backstory to himself. I once heard Mary Ann Keyes um, in an interview in her beautiful Irish lilt that um, that she has, and she's hilarious. If you haven't heard 
any of her YouTube interviews, you really should listen to her. She's hilarious. And she referred to her husband as himself. And in an Irish way, she said, oh, oh, look what himself has bought me. He's bought me a cup of coffee. I thought it was the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. So that is where I then went, well, now my husband is now known as himself. So <laughs> that's a, just a cute little backstory to that. Um, my favourite cocktail is and always will be a an espresso martini. I love coffee. I'm a huge coffee drinker. So to mix coffee and alcohol, my two favourite first loves together <laughs> is, uh, is brilliant. Um, and that also started as something fun during lockdown. We just sort of went, let's do something different, you know. And he doesn't read, but he likes all my books and he's very, so incredibly supportive. So I'm like, you choose a book that you like the look of and I'll just do a bit of a blurb on it and we'll <laughs> pair it up with a cocktail. <laughs> Eating, I don't. We're not huge snackers, so it, it will ch- depend on on the evening on what we choose to have for dinner, whether we order takeout or whether we we cook something. Okay, so I have to ask about this espresso martini because to mm-hmm. me those are like the espresso is going to wake you up, and then the martini part is going to put you to sleep. So which <laughs> one wins? <laughs> um, by the end of the day and on a Friday night, usually it's to put me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like they're fighting each other. I have to say, in honor of this interview, I decided, and I don't normally do this, but it is a Friday night. I had a glass of wine while we've been doing this interview. And oh, so jealous. Yeah. It's what time is it? It's uh, 10, uh, quarter past 10 in the morning. And um, <laughs> okay. Although, in a couple of hours, because it's Australian, it's our Aussie Rules football grand final today. So we'll be heading off to a pub to meet some friends in a couple of hours and I'll have a glass of wine then. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, is it Australian wine, Amy? No, Uh-oh. it's, it's okay. Italian. It's okay. Italian. Sorry. All right. Can't beat a good Italian wine. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last question, Lily. Who are some of your favorite Aussie actors? Uh-huh. Well, that's easy. Um, any of the Hemsworth boys. <laughs> they are very nice to look at. That is for sure. I absolutely, and I have free pass to all of them, um, or a whole pass. Is that what you call it? A free pass? Yeah. What do they call it? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yes. Um, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Eric Banner. Um, oh God, so many. Yeah. In particular, I, I didn't love actually Kidman. know. I didn't know Eric Banner was Australian. That's news yes. to me. There you go. Yes. <sighs> And okay. he's got the most beautiful house in Brighton, which is where I'll be going this afternoon. Uh, not to his house, of course, but to the suburb, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> which is actually on the beach. Well, it has been so cool talking to you. I I, I was telling everybody, I'm going to be talking to somebody who lives in Australia tonight, and it's tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, it's just mind-boggling to me. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's so lovely. You know, I do have to applaud technology and being able to do this and talk to people from across the world. And yeah, it's, it's fabulous. I love it. Well, and to know that I have a kindred spirit all the way on the other side is just, it's great. So if I ever get over there, I'll look you up and we can talk about depressing, serious books. Love it. Oh my goodness. With a glass of wine. (laughs) That works. That sounds good. We'll make it a date. Thanks again for chatting with us, Lily. We appreciate it. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Amy. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. You can find Lily Raiti on Instagram at Lily Raiti, and her last name is spelled R A I T I. 
For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover. If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org. 